Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. Have you ever felt a knife cut through human flesh and scrape the bone beneath? You're gonna need a bigger boat. Be my victim. Hello, my name is Austin Torres, and welcome to the Would You Die podcast, the show where we talk about our favorite horror monsters and villains. Today, I'm joined by actor, writer, director, and most importantly, my cousin. Please welcome Kit Martinez. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I am. I am awesome because I never get to see you. I know I'm I went and just moved states away. So rude of me. I wasn't going to say it. You said it for me. This is why you're the best. <laughs> I am the best. You're welcome. <laughs> Today we are talking about the icon that put the elevated in horror. The Mr. Babadook. Uh, Babadook. But before we really get into our spooky boy. You know, you know how this show goes. We're, we're going to talk about your overall horror origins, your horror gins. I'm I'm surprised I haven't said that on the show yet, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Coin it now. Hashtag uh, TM. Um. <laughs> Traded and marked. I think that's how you say it. <laughs> yep, you got it. <laughs> but yeah, what are like some of your earlier memories of spooky movies so to speak yeah so i probably have two very formative memories when it comes to horror and i you're probably going to get a lot of angry comments about both of these so i do apologize when i was maybe five or six uh i had faked sick and snuck into my dad's bed. He was, you know, hanging out with some friends in the kitchen, but he had a TV in his bedroom and I wasn't allowed to watch TV after 7 p.m. or so. And I just remember clicking on the TV just in time to see someone get taken out by the T-Rex in Jurassic Park. (laughs) So that was that was one of like the first formative memories. I, I'd only really been exposed to children's media before then. So I'm watching this and I'm like, okay. And then the dinosaur spits him up, right? Like mm-hmm. it's a joke. Ha ha ha. And then it never happened. I watched the entire rest of the movie and I was just like, what the heck? I have been scammed. Where is my wholesome everybody lives media? (laughs) So that was it. The second one was Barney. Okay. (laughs) So, And this leads into another tangent that I know from listening to your other episodes that we will eventually go down. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so when I was a child, Barney was a popular thing. My parents wanted me to like Barney. So they got me these Barney bedsheets and I did watch the show a little bit with other things, but they had gotten me these, these Barney bedsheets and they were glow in the dark, which they thought would be very comforting to a young child of three, maybe four. 
And instead, every night for a week, I was just outside the door of my bedroom, just sobbing on the floor. Uh, door shut, nothing. Oh. My parents could not figure out what was wrong. They were, you know, oh, Kit, just go to bed, just go back to bed, get over it. Like, what's going on? And then finally, one day, my dad came back into the bedroom with me and saw that the Barney pillowcase, which was just his giant head and then a glow in the dark <laughs> mouth and eyes, uh, <laughs> my dad screamed. and he was like okay we're gonna burn these sheets and you can sleep in my room tonight don't worry (laughs) about it so those were sort of my first introductions to horror I never was one of those kids that was really afraid of the monster under the bed or in the closet because I was putting my face on the monster's head each night (laughs) (laughs) well it's interesting that you're well it's definitely not traditional uh gateways to horror no certainly certainly not i find it interesting that they're both dinosaurs too (laughs) an excellent point i never i never knew this is why podcasts are important because we learn so much about people i mean i i thought we knew everything now i know you have this dinosaur phobia it's great. It's, We're learning. It's not dinosaurs. I actually have no problem with dinosaurs. What I do have is a diagnosed phobia of clowns. Oh. Which, so my a, a lot of my horror is very limited because that does cut mm-hmm. out quite a significant portion of it. But for years, I thought I was just one of those people who gets mildly disturbed by clowns and then is like oh yes of course I have a phobia of them um and then I was at a haunted forest type thing with some friends in high school you know we're walking through we're giggling we're laughing uh Mm -hmm. a clown jumps out in front of me and I apparently passed out so I regained consciousness on my back with this clown over me going, hey man, are you okay? And I apparently swung at him and then sprinted to the end. I have no memory of this. This is just what people have told me. Uh, so I sprinted to the end. My friends were like, whoa, you weren't kidding about not liking clowns. And then years later, I was telling my therapist this story and she She was like, so that's what we'd call a phobia. Like you were incapacitated by your fear and not necessarily a reasonable fear. But yeah, it's it's so bad that I can't look at photos of clowns without getting a little panicky. All of the promotional material for it was not a good time for me. (laughs) Oh, no. And and Pennywise was everywhere. Yeah, that that's like the biggest horror movie. Oh, that's rough. I have a theory. Go for it. I would say I have a strong dislike of clowns. I don't have a phobia because I've never had a reaction like that. But I would say that's higher on my list of things I'm scared of. But like I could watch it all day. I don't know why Pennywise doesn't scare me anymore. But but my mom always said that I loved Dumbo growing up. And I would I just 
despised a scene with the clowns because mm-hmm. they were making fun of Dumbo. Yeah. So she thinks I have uh, innate distaste of clowns because of that movie. Because deep down, whenever I see a clown, I see my boy Dumbo getting bullied and I don't like that. So I think maybe possibly you saw Dumbo at a young age. Yeah, I I think Dumbo is definitely a possibility. Personally, I think it relates much more directly to the Barney sheets to that. Oh, yeah, that that makes more sense. That makes more sense. (laughs) Um. Yeah, of course you saw somebody getting bullied and we're like, mm, screw those guys. And I was like, nope, I have to be personally traumatized to be upset <laughs> by this. My traumatization like that is the most embarrassing because I, I don't have any diagnosed phobias, so I don't think I have any phobias. But the closest thing I do have is spiders because mm-hmm. I'll like freeze when I see a spider. Like I can't kill a spider because I, I just stop. And I've gotten to the point where I'll just walk away. I can muster up the courage to nope out of there. (laughs) But spiders freak me out. And I 100% know it's because growing up, I loved animals as a kid. I watched Animal Planet all the time. And And you hate animals now is what I'm hearing. Well, I didn't used to hate spiders. (laughs) Okay. And there is this cinematic masterpiece coming out called Eight-Legged Freaks starring David Arquette and Scarlett Johansson. And I begged my mom to take me to go see it because I thought it was going to be a fun giant spider bee movie. And it's 100% that. But for whatever reason, seven-year-old Austin thought it was too intense. And I couldn't handle spiders after that movie. Mm -hmm. I actually finally rewatched that movie like 20 years after the fact. And it's really cheesy. And I'm really embarrassed that that movie traumatized me. <laughs> yeah, clowns are freaky. So I don't, I, I think that's a good phobia to have. I, I guess no phobias are good, but that one I understand. Yeah, I mean, it's maybe understandable, but it's just not convenient. People think it's a ridiculous phobia. So, and I'm sure people do this with other things as well, but, you know, there's some imperative to be afraid of spiders. Whatever the impetus is for that fear, there's a biological defense, like you you don't necessarily want to be near a spider. You don't know if it's dangerous or not. With clowns, a lot of the time it's like, oh, what are they going to do? balloon animal me to death um so i understand that to some extent it is a bit ridiculous to your defense i think the clown fear could be related to spiders because you never know when a clown is going to be a john wayne gacy Mm, that's fair and like most spiders and most clowns are harmless it just takes one black widow you know right and i think there's an innate what clowns kind of represent is this fear of a wolf in sheep's clothing if that makes sense yeah no i i hear that i think it's the perma smile as well that makes it particularly creepy whether or not they are meant to be a scary clown or not 
because humans have such a negativity bias as a survival instinct. Right. But when you see something that always looks happy and always looks positive, I think there's an inherent mistrust there. So I I think that could also be a factor in general why, you know, a lot of people just find clowns uncomfortable. Oh, I I 100% agree and understand that. It's really interesting that we got we got on a clown tangent because I do think the Baba Duke has some clown characteristics. Okay. I'll say I feel sort of similarly. It's not clown enough that it activated my fight or flight, but it's mm-hmm. enough that I definitely found it disquieting, even from a lot of the imagery. Uh, you know, it's the sort of looks like the bastard love child of a sad clown and the hat man. So yeah, I think that's a good I think it has qualities. I don't think I would outright say it's a clown, but I do think there's some like shared traits. Sure. Before we like deep dive into the Baba Duke, I want to bring it back to because you mentioned it. I didn't mention it this time. Uh I'm gonna bring it back to Jurassic Park for a second. I would 100 percent I think Jurassic Park is a movie that I would show people who don't really who aren't in the horror genre yet. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a good I feel like Jurassic Park is a good gateway to horror. Okay, yeah, I I'd agree with that. It's sort of an action horror as a as opposed to being, you know, sort of just a like a straight up slasher or a psychological thriller. Yeah, no, it's a lot of survival horror. And to bring it to the game world for a minute, it almost reminds me of sort of a love child of Until Dawn and Green Hell. Um, If you're not familiar with those, Until Dawn is a bunch of like young not young they're college students uh who go up to their friend's chalet a year after his sister's deaths and they're just kind of hanging out and then spooky stuff starts happening uh green hell is a survival game Um, which I haven't actually played the story game of. I got it when it was in beta, so it was just very survival-focused, but you're in a tropical environment, and you have to feed yourself and disinfect wounds and make sure you have safe places to sleep at night. And over time, the physical effects take a psychological toll on your body, um, and you start hearing things like, voices and I had to stop playing the game because it was severe like affecting my mental health after you know three or four hours of playing this game I was like I can't do this goodbye so it was it was very spooky and I'd say for me Jurassic Park threads you know really really beautifully between those two the surviving in an environment as well as surviving an external threat when I'm not 
familiar with the surroundings and I'm not sure what to trust and can I trust myself? Can I trust this person? All of all of those sorts of things, um, both of which are horror games, definitively horror games. Right. I have not played Green Hell, so I'm very unfamiliar with that, but I have played Until Dawn. Okay. And I, I, I love that game. I played that that studio have, had a new game come out this summer called The Quarry. Yes. And I I was obsessed with that for like two weeks. <laughs> I loved The Quarry. And and you're going to love this. While I was playing The Quarry, I was I thought to myself, there's a good Jurassic Park game in this oh format. God. I think if if uh, they got the like license to Jurassic Park, you can have a fun prequel ish game or maybe on site b where you play like a team of scientists trapped on the island and you're being stalked by the velociraptors that would be so freaking cool i would absolutely play that game i haven't had a chance to play the quarry yet uh it is on my list i did watch a million playthroughs because i like ruining (laughs) things for myself (laughs) But yeah, it it seemed really interesting and a similar but different horror than Until Dawn, which I do dig Until Dawn. They did appropriate some things from indigenous culture that, you know, are, are considered sacred and terms that should not be used, but it was also made a minute ago. Now, that's an older game, like 2015, 2016? Yeah, Um, I think it actually came out around the same time as The Babadook. Okay. So I think they they were within a year of each other. And, you know, when you know better, you do better. Um, And I hope that we're seeing steps to do better because I think they could have gone a similar route with uh, the quarry and instead they took kind of a left turn from that well i like the quarry a lot more i like the characters more i like the monsters more. i don't want to spoil until dawn or right the quarry <laughs> for people actually this is funny i'm i'm in talks with someone to do an episode about the quarry so that oh, will be really? a spoiler that'll be a spoiler heavy episode but yeah i love the quarry I want to I want to say more things, but like I said, I don't want to spoil it. Not yeah. in this one, at least. I will say my playthrough. I haven't done my second playthrough yet, but my playthrough. I think I did pretty good. I only lost only lost two kids. That is pretty good. And I said, and I saved the majority of the Hackett fa- uh, family as well. But um, okay, I I did not have too much death, and I looked I uh, looked a little bit. Um, to kind of like compare how I did with like other playthroughs. And I'm pretty sure I got the intended ending. Okay. Yeah, I was I was so spoiled my first playthrough of Until Dawn. Everyone lived. <laughs> and that has <laughs> not happened to me since. I cannot recreate whatever happened there. Um, so it, it was just a, a really bizarre thing, but it kind of made me, I think more excited for it. I'm not necessarily the kind of person that when I'm playing a game, I want to see a lot of 
loss and death and misery of the people I'm playing. I don't mind it in movies because I'm not involved in that. But right. in a in a game, it, it feels a lot more personal. Oh, no, I 100% agree with that. Because when I bought the game, I was like, all right, everyone's going to die in my first playthrough. I'm going to see all the gory options. And I started playing through the game and I'm falling in love with the characters and I'm controlling the characters. So I feel a responsibility. So I'm making choices that I think will cause my characters to live and not die. And I'm like, I'm playing through and I'm breathing heavy because I'm getting like stressed because I'm like, no, no, like, I, oh, oh no, I got to do the quick time event. Oh no, it's coming. So, <laughs> but the two, the two kids I did lose were my least favorite. So I would there consider my first playthrough a rousing success. <laughs> okay. That's fair. And anyone listening who really wants to know uh, more about my first playthrough, I will reveal all in a later episode. (laughs) There you go. Keep an ear out for that. (laughs) But yeah, video games are not something I've been able to talk a lot about on this podcast yet. But there's some there's a lot like I I'd love to talk about The Last of Us at some point. Okay, I enjoy those games. Um, I think Silent Hill would be fun to talk about. I had someone tell me I should do Resident Evil. And I was like, I've never played a Resident Evil game. I haven't either. And I feel like that's strange. Like, those are very popular games. Yes. And for me, I feel like, at least in the way I've heard them described, the mm-hmm. storyline isn't necessarily there for me. Um, I'm, I describe myself much more as a story-based gamer than someone who's like I just want to go in and kill things and maybe there's a little bit of story in the way but which is is definitely some people's jam and you know there's nothing wrong with it it's just a matter of personal preference Um, but for me I know that's why a lot of video games don't appeal to me initially so I let my friends play them and then they can come back and say oh yeah you know it was totally a a shoot 'em up or no it was definitely story based um i not recently uh at the start of lockdown i started <laughs> playing um we happy few oh i heard of that game is that i would absolutely describe as horror mm-hmm. um v- absolutely uh some kind of psychological something or other cuz i don't cool. often wake up in the middle of the night And I'm like, there's something at the foot of my bed. But that was one of those games where I had to give myself like a half an hour, an hour break to stop playing it before I went to bed. Otherwise, I was just I was I was spooked. That that sounds like something I should look into because that sounds like fun. I don't know where I fall in terms. I feel like I'm all over the place when it comes to video games. But yeah, my latest jam has been the quarry. I just had a weird thought. What's your weird thought? I wonder what a Baba Duke video game would look like. Mm, I'm. I don't think it lends well. <laughs> but I don't know. See, I'm picturing something like Five Nights at Freddy's. Oh. Where you know you you have to stay awake. You have to keep you know 
your limited resources and not attempt to kill your son or your dog, you know, while you're fighting back. Yeah. Mysterious things, trying to take control of your body. I, it would definitely be more of a slow burn. It's not going to be super action packed, uh, but I think you could do it. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think that would be a lot of fun. I don't know if there'll be a game that would work for everybody, but I don't think that's a game that needs to work for everybody. Absolutely. I think that would be a game where if it works for you, 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 you're going to love it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I feel like we're, we're seeing sort of a dichotomy here of it. Yes. It feels like sometimes the only people that can put out games are these big studios are the only people that have the capability for that. But on the other hand, we're seeing a lot more indie game developers pop up. Um, and it's, love-hate relationship with Steam, but they are a lot more open to these indie developers as opposed to a platform like PlayStation. So I I think there's potential for it. And I think in the same way that the Babadook kind of skyrocketed to popularity, there's a potential for that to happen with a game of it as well. And And maybe that's not a fair comparison because the movie did have a, a bit more backing than I initially thought. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could def- certainly harness that for a game as well. And I think, I think where the Babadook would have an advantage is the fact that the movie is so popular that even if it was like a fan-made game, like the Slenderman game a few years back. Uh, oh yeah, there will be. There is a built-in interest because of that character. For sure. For sure. That's a character that's not going to get a lot of other like the Babadook's not going to be like Michael Myers or Jason or Freddy in where the Babadook's not going to have any sequels. I don't know if the Babadook will come back in book form or whatever. But um, and the reason for that being is the director of the Babadook, Jennifer Kent, she owns the rights to the film, which is pretty much unheard of (laughs) right she does not want any sequels to be made she has explicitly said that it's not a movie made for sequels and because she owns the rights she can actually dictate that yeah and i i really respect that and i think that's super cool about the babadook you know we're not looking at something like a paranormal activity or a Blair Witch project where it was this fresh new thing on the horror scene. And then all of a sudden it's monetized to death. Right. Because Jennifer Kent was already fairly established before this happened. I say fairly established, established as an actor. And this was her first, I think her first feature length film um because she did direct the short film that the Babadook is based on which is called Monster um cool which she also wrote um so she wrote and directed both but it's it's nice to see it's nice when things are allowed to have an ending as opposed to you know let's let's beat this dead horse until it stops spitting up money 
it's something I definitely respect too. It makes it hard for this particular podcast because there's not much of a character to talk about with the Babadook. <laughs> Whereas like some, a character like Freddy Krueger or Frankenstein's monster have plenty of films and books sure. to di- dive into. But the Babadook's just the one thing. But what makes the Babadook great is I think the Babadook's very clear in the story it's trying to tell and the themes it's digging into. Yet it lends itself to so many interpretations. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I don't know. It, it was interesting watching it for the first time. So I, I originally watched it because it was, and I don't know if you remember this, but it was, the Babadook was put on Netflix under LGBTQ plus movies. Um, so of course, as a member of the queer community, I got to support my guy. So at least in, in a lot of my communities, that's what really skyrocketed it to popularity and led to a lot of people who maybe weren't necessarily interested in horror in theory. Um, you know, the idea of horror led them to watch this movie, which to me is just so fun because it is quite refreshing from yeah. the horror genre. At the same time, as someone who grew up with a mentally ill parent, uh, I was like, oh, I've seen this story before. I know exactly what is going to happen, which is why the ending was was such a delightful twist for me was was to see someone confront their mental illness, confront their grief, their depression, their inability to care for herself and her son and turn it around and then come back and explain to her son, you know, how are things today? Oh, it's a quiet day. Like this is today. My today, my grief is quiet tomorrow. It might be a lion, but today, today it's quiet, which is just such a turn from, from how we experience so much horror in which, you know, I would, would have expected the child to be the one possessed by the Babadook. You know, he's the one killing the dog, killing the mom. R.I.P. Bugsy. Oh, <sighs> that part still breaks my heart. It, it is incredibly sad, but I'll say it might be one of the gentlest visual deaths of, of an animal on screen. There's a kind of like a, I'm trying to think of the right word. I don't want to say delicateness, but I think that's the word. It's yeah, it's it's almost it's almost loving, right? Because we see her hold the dog in that same way many times before in the story. And that's, I think, made it the worst for me. Like if she was chasing him and it was, you know, he's trying to get away and it's violent and and whatnot. That's almost to be expected in a horror story for me. But it was the fact that she's holding him and initially he thinks it's okay and then it isn't right and i think that's like a good microcosm for the rest of the film Mm -hmm. because it's a film that i don't i think the babadook is very dark but at the same time there's kind of a warmth to it and it ends with a sense of hope 
Sure. Whereas a lot of horror movies like to do the tag at the end, one last jump scare, or they like to end in a bleak manner. I just rewatched The Ring very recently, and The Ring has a very bleak ending. Whereas the Babadook is kind of refreshing as it's the horror movie that like it's okay to have a happy end or a happy-ish ending because she's because they she still has to live with the Babadook. No, I I think it is, I think it is a happy ending. I, I wouldn't mm-hmm. put any qualifications on it. It's a happy ending because they're managing. You know, this mm, isn't, yeah. oh my God, we got away from the monster and now everything's getting back to normal. It, you know, they're addressing the impact of the violence that they have experienced, physical and psychological, and are addressing it to move forward. You know, at the end, Amelia is encouraging Samuel, you know, he's yeah. shooting his little homemade crossbow and she's like, wow, what a good shot you are. You know, I I think she recognizes that one, this is how her son feels safe. So she should teach, you know, help him do it in the safest way possible. And two, the experience that denying that monsters are real does not stop the monsters from being real. And in the case of the Babadook only makes it worse. You know, he's the, the stronger you don't believe in me, the stronger I'm gonna be. So it's, I think it's one of the more, human horror movies i've ever seen oh definitely and it came out 2014 2015 i think 2014 and the original short film it was based on came out in 2005 the babadook really i don't know if the babadook gets enough credit for really transforming the horror genre because it really kicked off the movement of art house horror films that really dive into these thematic or sometimes there's social issues. So like off the top of my head, movies like Hereditary and Mm. Get Out and The Witch, what people affectionately call elevated horror, (laughs) a term I'm not a fan of, but I'm just using in this instance. I I think the Babadook is the first of its kind. Yeah, I I always hesitate to say anything is the first of its kind, um, you know, because when the the Wright brothers were claiming that they had succeeded in the first human flight, there was a man in, I want to say it was Brazil, who'd done Mm -hmm. it a year previous. So it's, it's just a matter of, of what we have access to. And that's why I, I do always hesitate. And maybe this is pedantic of me, but I'm, I'm, so hesitant to say that anything is the first oh they're the first ones just because i'm sure there's somebody with an iphone elsewhere who's done something so similar and they just maybe didn't have the backing well let me rephrase (laughs) it's it's the first to set the trend okay i'll agree with that yeah because um it could probably it probably has some influences that we don't know about that do the same thing but the babadook is the one that everyone saw and then the trend got set yeah ab- absolutely um and particularly given that to those of us who live in the US it's considered a mm-hmm. foreign film it's australian right yeah so it's Weird, because sometimes what gets classified as foreign films 
maybe shouldn't be. I don't know. I'm mm-hmm. I'm spent a lot of time in Detroit growing up and we would go to film festivals and they'd have short films shot in Windsor across the border <laughs> and they were foreign films. And I mean, technically it's true. <laughs> technically it's true. It is, but culturally, I'm like, we're the same. You guys just can just go to the doctor when you need to. That's... <laughs> <laughs> no i i feel that and i i do i do feel what you mean when it's like is it really the first because that totally makes sense i think to prove your point halloween gets credited as being like the first slasher movie when black christmas and texas chainsaw massacre mm. both came out in 1974 i think you can make the argument that psycho is a slasher came out in 1960 but halloween set the trend yeah yeah, and I, I think that so set I, the trend yeah. is a, a more accurate description, maybe. Because um, you're right, it's it's not like Psycho came out and we saw dozens of slasher fix from that. Right. Um, so I, I think that's a good point. And there's probably some art house horror films that came out before The Babadook that I'm just not remembering, that I'm not thinking of. But the Babadook is really the one that made it a thing. Sure, sure. And I, yeah, yeah, no. And I, I think, I think the Babadook came out at a time when we were ready to start having these conversations about mental health as opposed to just straight up villainizing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it, it really threaded that needle beautifully of still being a horror movie but also addressing the horror of its era oh for sure and in terms of trends i think before the babadook that was the end of the torture porn trend Mm. that kind of kicked off got kicked off by saw and hostile even though i don't think saw is a torture porn film but that's a discussion for another day the sequels maybe i've never seen the sequels but the first saw movie is a crime thriller <laughs> i saw like 40 seconds of a saw movie and i'm not i, I don't do body horror mm. Um, and so it was, and I'm sure someone can tell me what it was. I have had no desire to like look this up or do anything into it further, but they've got a man strapped down at the bottom of a pit and they're dropping rotting pigs on him. Um, and I already don't eat pork. Um, so I was just, I think I was like maybe 13 or 14. And I was like, nope, that's enough. (laughs) Learned what I don't like. Well, that was a trend <laughs> and so, it's not a yeah, trend now. Yeah. Which is why for, for a long time, I think I, you know, I was like, oh, I just don't like horror because at the time when a lot of my peers were watching horror movies, that's what they were. And that was a trend while we were growing up too. Mm-hmm. Cause we had that, we had the J horror remake trend with like the ring, the grudge. Yes. Um, One missed call. And then we also and then we had the remake trend. So we got the we got remakes of Texas Chainsaw and Halloween and Prom Night and Black Christmas. And I know what you did. Um, no, not. And Last House on Hills Have Eyes. 
there's a scream like scream four does the list better than i can right now to bring it around to our point again i yeah. think scream was one of those movies that also kind of set a new trend maybe not as aggressively as it could have had it been 10 years later mm-hmm. um but it really was kind of a refresh to the the genre i feel my, oh, oh, my yeah. little tidbit <laughs> oh yeah for sure because like I know what you did last summer came out immediately after. And that's another teen slasher mystery. And then like Robert Rodriguez's The Faculty came out. And that's like Scream meets The Thing meets Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Um, (laughs) So and then like Urban Legend, I think, kind of follows the Scream. You know, you know, you have a trend when Halloween partakes in it because Halloween with that with h2o did the scream trend and then it hopped on the remake trend when rob zombie made his halloween films Mm -hmm. and now we're in like the legacy sequel era of halloween following in the footsteps of jurassic world and star wars (laughs) yeah it's it's definitely fun and interesting and weird to see which way the genre is going now so I have a question for you. Yeah. What is the oddest movie that you consider horror that maybe the majority of people won't? <sighs> I don't want to say Jurassic Park because I've said that I've made, <laughs> I stated my case on that already. Um, but usually that's one of my go-to answers for a question like that. Cause there's so many people that just doesn't think it is. And I'm like, it honestly, it could go either way. I just like arguing sometimes. Um, <laughs> sometimes I'll say Scooby-Doo. Okay. Um, I, I, I don't think it's scary, but I also don't think a film has to be scary to be horror. But I think what Scooby-Doo does is it takes horror tropes and makes it kid friendly. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. I'm trying to think of more odd ones. I, a film I always consider as part of the horror canon which I don't think a lot of people do is um, Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds. Okay. I don't know what a lot of, I, I mean, I think everyone considers it sci-fi because it is, but I also think it's a horror movie too. And cause there's a lot of gnarly stuff in that in War of the Worlds. And when my mom took me to go see it in theaters when I was 10, it it affected me something. So <laughs> that could be a reason why I consider it horror now. But like, I don't think that's traditionally considered a horror movie. Yeah, I I can see that. I don't know. It's it's a it's a weird one mm-hmm. because our grandparents lived through the radio play. And the hysteria of it. Right. So, you know, I I can't speak to your grandparents, but that was always one of my abuelos' favorite stories to tell about, like, just being home and listening and, like, the aliens are invading and the neighbors are running in the streets and screaming and, like, (laughs) what is happening? Um, Because if you didn't tune in before they, oh, this is a drama, you, you were kind of caught off guard with that, which, you know, as a kid is, oh, haha, an amusing story. How could anyone think that? But yeah, that'll, you know, that's a, this is sort of mess you up. Oh, for sure. And even like reading the book, 
which is very dated because it's like a hundred years old. Sure. But that's like, yeah, I have my copy of it over there. If I remember correctly, that's one, a hard read because it's a hundred years old. So <laughs> it's hard to read li- like that type of English now, but it's like a really interesting anti-colonial sci-fi horror book which I think is interesting, especially at that time being written by a British author. (laughs) Oh, for sure. And it's so bizarre too, because I think the ending, I was like, oh, I'm going to spoil War of the Worlds for someone, but that's, it came out in the fifties. Grow up. Um, Yeah. 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 If it's not spoiled (laughs) for you by now, you'll be all right. But yeah, the fact that it's the earth, disease you know earth bacteria earth viruses that take out the aliens as opposed to what we saw so many times over history which is the colonizing forces of the ones that had diseases that wiped out indigenous populations intentionally and unintentionally um i i found that such an interesting reversal of it to be like this thing that we weaponized for generations now it's gonna save us right (laughs) there's so many ways to dig into that and i i I just think it's fascinating yeah um i think it's a story that gets its roots in horror and each version of it is drastically different yet it always has at least some horror in its dna And I think the last kind of oddball horror that I'll give you where now this one, this one's going to be interesting. I've covered him on the podcast. So clearly I consider him part of the horror family and I'll see his merch all the time at like horror conventions. When I say all the time at horror conventions, I mean, I saw his merch at the one horror convention I've been to, but I just assume I'll see him at the future ones too. And it's Godzilla. I don't know if, well, his movies now are are not horror anymore. And I think he stopped being horror in like the 60s. Hmm. But the first movie is a horror film. And that's where Godzilla kind of gets his start. So as a franchise, I don't think it's a horror franchise. But I do think that first film is a horror film. And Godzilla is a giant monster. Monsters are key to the horror genre. So even if you don't consider the films as horror, I think it's right to have Godzilla at the conventions and to be a part of like horror podcast. Like why I don't have a problem covering Godzilla on this show. Okay. Yeah, no, I'll I'll agree with you up until, oh, I always mix them up. There's Godzilla versus Mothra and then Mothra versus Godzilla. And one of them came out in the 60s and one of them came out in the 90s. I never remember which. (laughs) Just to make it easier on ourselves, we can just call them the 60s or the 90s. I think Mothra versus Godzilla is the 60s. Okay. Because at that at that time, I'll, I'll Google it real quick. But at that time, Godzilla was still a villain. He was still right. playing the heel. Yeah, Mothra versus Godzilla is okay. the 64 version. And that might be my favorite Godzilla film. <laughs> That's fair. I, I was going to say, I, I think for me, and I'm not intimately familiar with Godzilla, but I've watched a mm-hmm. few. That that was the last one for me where I was like, okay, this this could fit into 
the horror genre. Oh, um, oh, I, I, I would agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's a little campy, but they kind of all were at For, that. Only the first one I would say doesn't have a campy tone. Yeah. The first one's really somber. And that one I would say is like, oh, that's a true horror film is that first movie. But very quickly, Godzilla turns into like a kid's action hero. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, what happened here? But still, like, I I, I wouldn't necessarily classify it as like a Jurassic World where it's, you know, more action than horror. It's still kind of towing that line. And I think we also have to remember that we need to look at things from previous generations more so through that generation's lenses of horror. You know, we're we're into some effed up horror shit now. Right. But back then, you know, you you look at something like, uh, let's say the birds, which is to me one of the most terrifying movies I've ever seen solely because of the selective use of soundtrack mm-hmm. um, traumatized me as a child. I was like, how am I supposed to be feeling right now? What's <laughs> going on? But I was speaking to a younger friend who'd watched it in her later years. And she was just kind of like, yeah, uh, it was okay. Like, it's not as scary. And I, I think she referenced like Jennifer's body, which yes, <laughs> You know, there's a difference in tone there. But I I think it says a lot that, you know, I I asked my dad and he's like, yeah, you know, I thought it was stupid at first, but the birds ended up being one of the scariest movies I remember seeing. And I, I think it's just that generational difference. And to circle it around, I, I rewatched The Babadook recently because mm-hmm. I we had been talking about doing this for a year, it feels like. It was around Christmas time. It hasn't okay. been a whole year yet. All right. That's just my guilt of not having time. <laughs> Our guilt. Our guilt. It goes both ways. All right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I was like, this feels like it's been an obscene amount of time. Let me let me rewatch this real quick. And it's still, I think it still holds up really well. Ten years later. Nope. Eight. I can't do math. Um <laughs> This, I was an arts major for a reason. We're artists, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they made me take one math class in college and they waived the requirement uh, two years after I went through it. So they were like, you a silly artist, don't need to know, you don't need to know what two plus two is. I'm over here counting on my fingers. <laughs> what? Yeah, I mean, I, I think even in an age where things are progressing so rapidly and we're seeing so much turnover you know it's the 24-hour news cycle but for media you know Mm -hmm. it it doesn't feel like anything really has any staying power and when it does they just turn it into a sequel so that's what I found really refreshing about re-watching Babadook is I was like oh this does hold up yeah there's you know it, it it and some of it is like a little dated like you look at the phones and you're like Okay, she has a home phone. Grow up. <laughs> and that's kind of a recent film to have a home phone. Right. 2014. Yeah. But I mean, there are a lot of factors that I think can lead into that, you know, like 
did she get the phone with her husband? Maybe it's the only recording of his voice she has left. There, there are multiple right. factors there that we don't explore that we could have. But in part, it's because she's she's cutting out all of the aspects of her husband. You know, she says to her sister, I don't right. talk about him. I don't cry. Which like, bestie, not healthy. Go to therapy. Yeah. <laughs> but we do what we can. She's a single mom. That's hard. So, but um, yeah, it, I, I think it holds up even 10 years later in a way that, as sad as it is, something like, I think Blair Witch Project doesn't. Um, yeah. I, I know that was all the hype when we were younger, you know, it was the a bunch of friends in tents and they were traumatizing each other and they did it for like $400 and isn't this great? And on one hand, I think that's cool. And on the other hand, it really dates itself so badly, which. <sighs> I think that's part of the charm, though, is it feels kind of like a time capsule. And now as someone who has not rewatched the Blair Witch in a long time, I don't remember it too well. So I'm probably talking out of my ass just to be honest, but. As a found footage film, I think the fact that it's so dated kind of grants it a little bit more credibility because okay. it's such it's such like like the first paranormal activity movie. I think you could argue the same thing. And I watched that film recently and I wasn't as scared as I was when I saw it when I was like a freshman in high school and I got to see it in theaters that and it was a packed theater. That was terrifying. Hmm. So watching it at home on a small TV isn't going to be the same thing, obviously. But that first Paranormal Activity movie is still pretty effective. The only thing is like what doesn't work for me anymore is I hate the guy character in that movie because he's so arrogant. Oh, yeah. And that dumbass motherfucker gets told, don't bring in a Ouija board. What does he do? Brings in a Ouija board. And I'm like, you dumbass motherfucker. Okay, but listen, and we can say this as Latinos, that is some white people nonsense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Somebody, you start seeing spooky shit in your house, you light some Palo Santo, and maybe you get a priest. Like, you're yeah. not, do not invite it. Do not make contact with it. It's you like don't that agitate straight- it. No, it's like a stray dog on the street that you're like, is it going to attack or is it going to be cool? You don't walk up going, hi, puppy. Can I bet you? No, (laughs) you don't make eye contact and you just keep walking. Not so fast that you look like you're running, like you're prey, but not slow enough that it thinks you're an easy target either. (laughs) Like Exactly. And it's just like the, just the audacity, the sheer audacity. Well, I'm, I, I'll beat it up. You ain't gonna do shit, no. homie. Like, it's a demon. It'll, it'll fuck you up till the end of time. And then some. Yeah, I like, I, I would love to borrow that man's confidence for a day. Like, I think I could get a lot done. I think I could get so much done in my life and none of it would include thinking I could fist fight a demon. Right. <laughs> Other than that aspect, that movie still held up. <laughs> it was my original point. <laughs> but yet, but the Babadook, I think that's a film 
that will stand the test of time that 50 years from now, students of cinema will still be learning about it. Yeah, I I certainly hope so. It goes on my list of films along with ones like Jennifer's Body and 112263 where there's this this explicit horror undercurrent going through it Mm -hmm. but I feel like the horror is just a vehicle to tell the larger story um and I'm sure people will disagree with me about 112263 in particular but I've I've never felt such a chill in my bones as that experience of like oh no but yeah it it I think it goes up there with horror I, I can keep coming back to when I want to feel disquieted maybe not like scared out of my mind but definitely that sense of the fuck is going on here uh and and I think for the Babadook at least it it does have that delightful twist ending that is honestly just such a relief to see (laughs) in in horror oh for sure you brought up Jennifer's body And the fact that the Babadook is kind of a LGBTQ icon. Yeah. Do you know why the Babadook was put in that? Because I didn't find any queer text or subtext in that film when I watched it. No, no, not not a bit. And I, I say that as someone who is desperately searching for that in every piece of of media you know but no i i think it was somebody's human error um you know maybe they were like oh clicking the movie next to it and it just happened to get clicked too yeah i i i don't know of of any themes i couldn't find any themes i rewatched and i was like well you know maybe samuel's queer coded and i missed it the first time because i wasn't out in 2014 i wasn't Mm necessarily you know i was looking for those things but not too carefully just in case so i i didn't i didn't see anything i think it's just a, a delightful mistake but i think that there's also a long and illustrious history of queer people identifying with monsters because culturally we have been such Mm -hmm. for such a long time. We still are to a lot of people. Um, You know, we're, we're, our, our very existence is demonized in a lot of ways, but the Babadook is not the first monster. He certainly wasn't the last where there was sort of a kinship where maybe there had no right to be. Mm -hmm. But I I think there's also something very beautiful about being part of a community and looking at something that perhaps the rest of society has rejected in a similar way as they have rejected you and being welcoming of that. So to make a short story long, no, I didn't see any (laughs) queer themes, but I also think that there's almost an inherent queerness to all monsters in their othering. That's, I like that. And that's really cool um, and interesting. I, uh, I find that like very, the way you've said that was, I found very profound and what I'm about to say is not profound at all. So I feel (laughs) kind of like an ass. But I remember when that happened, because I think 
if I remember correctly, the Babadook got placed in that um, Netflix category around the same time that the first It was coming out. So I saw a lot of memes placing the Babadook and Pennywise as like a gay couple together. Yes, they were boyfriends. And I saw one one fan drawing that I'll never forget of it's just the Babadook, but he has this thick ass and someone's they just captioned it the Badonkadonk. Oh my God. And that that single image is seared into my mind. I, I don't know where it is. I, I'm sure if I just search Badonkadonk on Google, I'll find it, but I don't know what else I'll find. So I don't want to search it. I'm going to find Google. it for us. And it, oh, it almost ruins the movie for me, though, because deep down, whenever I think of the Babadook, my brain goes, Badonkadonk. And it makes me laugh. And it's a great film. Nothing will ever take it away. I just have my inner 12-year-old, who is probably my main personality, is always like, heh, badonkadonk. I mean, Uh, honestly, uh, shout out to your inner 12-year-old for being cooler than mine. Uh, (laughs) It's the only time in your life you were cooler than me, so. Uh, Joke's on you. I edit these podcasts, so no one's going to hear that lie. All right. Sounds like you're a coward, but rude. Anyways. But yeah, I remember I ruined my search history for you. <laughs> Did you not find it? No, I found it. Yes. The app won't let me take a screenshot because I had it on in private browsing. So now. Oh, no. Now I had to take it to real browsing. This is why I'm your favorite cousin. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, <laughs> to you. I'm so ready. I'm so ready for this. I texted it. My cell phone has awful service here in the state in which I live. Yes. You can't get rid of it. (laughs) Should I make, should I make that the promo image? I would love that. I'm already going to share the shit out of this because I love your (laughs) podcast. I do listen to it. I really think I want to make that the promo image. I fucking love that. Please do. Because part of me is like, is it going to be taken down? And then the other part of me is like, my podcast is so fucking small. I could do what I want. You can do what I, you want. It's my um, podcast. And the thing like, the thing is like, I talk every week. I talk about a different horrific villain or monster. We talk all the blood and guts and horrible things. I think we could handle a little bit of ass. It's not even like, it's not even ass. It's, I mean, it is, but nothing's exposed. Right. It's a cartoon. Yeah. I'm sure we've seen worse on SpongeBob. Yeah, no, I have a distinct memory of all of the, maybe not all of the, but a lot of the (laughs) like queer Bobaduck memes going around where there's one where it's a girl with like, awful bangs and she's like oh no the babadook you're so scary and he's like your bangs are scary <laughs> have you heard <laughs> of deep conditioning <laughs> like oh my something God. like that oh quite funny and quite the babadook funny. is the babadook is still i feel like it's still relevant because i don't know if you've seen the new scream film but the babadook is referenced a bunch of times mm. in the new scream and then I feel like I see memes from the Babadook 
a lot, mostly of the mom, um, Amelia yelling, why can't you be normal? And the kid just screaming. Yeah. Like that is a meme I see all the time. And I want to give a shout out to the actor that plays that kid. Oh, yeah. So good. Oh, yeah. And he was so young. I was thinking about it during the the scene where he's having the seizure. I was like, what a, oh my God. Like what a, what a physical performance. Right. Of this, of this kid who, you know, I mean, what do you do? Hey kid, watch videos of seizures. What I know of, of Kent, I don't think she would do that. Um, so you have to describe a seizure to this kid and he's sitting there with like the, the clawed hands and like right. shaking and the eyes rolling back in his head abs like for a grown adult for a professional actor someone with you know 30 years experience under their belt that level of physicality is astounding to do it as such a young child oh kudos to that kid I do not remember the actor's name I don't know if he's done anything since but my god what a what a talent and like you you know you're doing something right from both the acting and a filmmaking and like directing standpoint where that character I thought he was the most annoying kid I was like bro f this kid and then in the second half when the mom's going crazy and she's like I haven't it's been a little bit since I've rewatched the Babadook but I remember it pretty clearly but this part correct me if I'm wrong but the kid's like hey Amelia's in the bathtub and the kid's like, hey, I'm getting a little hungry. And she's like something like eat shit. And and uh, I'm just like, no, no, you don't talk to that kid that way. Yeah, (laughs) he really grows on you. Yeah, no, she's uh, she's trying to sleep because she's so tired, Mm. so tired all the time. And which I get. I have friends that are new parents. I have friends that are parents of toddlers and parents of elementary school kids and they're just tired everybody just tired all the time but yeah she she's like why don't you just eat shit and she like brings him ice cream (laughs) for dinner and if I was a child I would not trust that ice cream not for a second it's vanilla I'll say that had it been chocolate ice cream I think that would have been a step too far (laughs) yep but yeah, and I, I think there's the difference and what the movie does so so well is let you see the difference between this is an annoying kid and this is harmful behavior on the part of his mother. Like the kid's annoying, but he also says quite clearly throughout the movie what he needs and what he wants. She's just right. not in a position to hear him or fulfill those needs he wants to know about his dad she's not mentally stable enough to do that and he wants to be able to pursue his interests which she straight up does not allow him to do or in the case of you know the close-up magic even where it's allowed it's not necessarily supported like she can't like she can't be bothered with it he's he just wants her attention and she's kind of like, yeah, yeah. I, 
I don't know that I would describe it as can't be bothered. Um, I think this woman has been holding her world together with both hands Mm -hmm. for seven years. And when it comes to. uh, I think dismissive is the wrong word, but like distracted, maybe. Sure. And I, I definitely say she's she's dismissive, but I, I don't think it comes from a place of like, I can't be bothered because when he points out to her, like, I want you to pay attention, like she does try and she's there for a minute and then she's gone. And I think she's just maybe it's coming from like a place of exhaustion. Yeah, that's that's just how I interpreted it. But the mm-hmm. beauty of media is that it is impossible for every single person to interpret everything the same right and like at the at the end of the babadook uh she's she's able to actively engage with that finally Mm -hmm. which um which is awesome and and it's so fulfilling at least for me (laughs) yeah yeah it's so it's so nice and the the film has so many direct parallels i mean he's playing with the crossbow bolt he's showing her a magic trick going nothing in my hands nothing in my hands so there's there are definitely concrete parallels that we see between her being checked out emotionally as a parent because she's not checked out physically right she she does care about him she feeds him she picks him up from the school she tells the school stop calling him the boy his name is Samuel, which is the same thing that we see that sort of shakes her out of it with the Babadook is the Babadook says, the boy, the boy, bring me the boy. And she's like, oh, no, wait, this has happened before. Um, so I, I think those are interesting parallels. But yeah, I, I think a lot of it comes down to her finally getting a handle on her own mental health allows yeah. her to finally be the parent that her son needs and she wants to be you know I, I don't think anyone goes out with the intention to be a neglectful parent maybe they do I certainly hope not but I'm sure it happens I, I think uh, a majority of people that are parents want to be good parents yeah yeah I I'd agree with that you know I don't think people go out and are like I can't wait to be a shitty parent um right and if oh. there are people like that, it might be two or three out of the billions of parents. Right. Yeah. Nobody nobody looks at a kid and is like, I'm going to fuck that up as much as I can. That That's a special kind of evil to be able to do yes. that. Yes. And like, hopefully an evil that is fictional. But if it is real life, I'm it's probably just like one person out of the billions of people on planet earth we can only hope that it right if it has to exist it is that low but yeah i think the babadook is a beautiful film and beautiful is not an adjective that gets that describes too many horror films but i know but i think the babadook is a beautiful film yeah and i i think it's not just visually stunning Though it is, I, I think yeah. their their use of color and shadow is so masterful, even from the beginning of the film to when we start seeing it devolving into horror. Like, ugh, I could yeah. go on about this 
for hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, not not just visually, the emotional aspect of it is beautiful, which I think is part of what makes it such a great story is, you know, she's she's not a perfect mom who has moved her kids to a big house in the middle of nowhere. And all of a sudden they start having problems. The, you know, the, the problems right. were there and the problems caused the horror as right. opposed to an external influence causing it. Which is um, what we generally, what we've would generally get from supernatural horror before the Babadook. Yeah. Like I think, the big supernatural horror like that that could be compared to the Babadook is Poltergeist, but Poltergeist is very much external. Like they they move into the new house, now they're haunted. The Babadook, like you like you say, the Babadook is like internalized problems. The the thing, yeah, which is is where I think it's almost the the spiritual successor to Jennifer's body in which it's the, I I would argue the emotional trauma of that movie that causes the horror, right? Because something brutal happens to Jennifer and then the horror comes from that. That's a really, that's a really good through line. And Jennifer's body is definitely a LGBTQ horror movie. Absolutely. There's nothing straight about that movie. And that that movie is a gem. I, yeah. I think that's a fantastic movie. But the Badonka Donk and Jennifer Check would make an iconic duo. You know, maybe the maybe the Babadook is non-binary. That's why we don't know. We don't know. He's your average trans mask in that he's wearing the long robes and the you know hoodie in the middle of summer. Um, very, <laughs> very on brand. So. Yeah, but no, you'll you'll just have to have me back so we can talk about Jennifer's body. Yeah, Jennifer's body is really interesting because I've actually had quite a few people put Jennifer's body as like one of like their top three that they want to talk about. And then everyone always picks something else. So I'm down to talk about Jennifer's body and it just hasn't happened yet. But Let's... there's been interest in it. Yeah. No, let's let's do. I mean, that was that or Cabin in the Woods were going to be my next suggestions. If you were like, oh, we can't do the Babadook. So which I only within like the last two years watched Cabin in the Woods. That's a fun um, movie. It's great. Um, but my dad is a huge Bradley Whitford fan. And Love so him. he watched Cabin in the Woods, not knowing what was going on. And then was like. <laughs> It was on TV. I saw Bradley Whitford. I got it. I don't know what's going on. Um, <laughs> you've met my dad, you know. <laughs> He's like, yeah, they're in a cabin and some weird shit starts happening. <laughs> You're not wrong, sir. There are um, no there are no lies detected in this synopsis. No lies. Father Mart, <laughs> 10 for 10. But yeah, it was. I don't know. I just was like, well, my dad doesn't like it. You know, I don't know what it is, but I guess I won't watch it because he loves Bradley Whitford. And if he doesn't like this um, and then, yeah, watch it. Jeez, maybe a year or two ago. And I was like, this is pretty good. 
this is all right. <laughs> so, and yeah, Jennifer's Jennifer's body was a movie I saw in theaters more than once, uh, which is not common for me, especially with the advent of streaming. I like to watch things at home so I can have my own reaction to it um, and not worry about what the people around me are thinking of my reaction to it. I never thought of it that way because I I love going to the movie theater, but for me, I just get so immersed where I can't Mm. get immersed at home because I have the dog or the phone or, you know, or like I'll hear sirens or something. But in a movie theater, my cell phone is on silent dogs at home. If if there's like I can't hear the traffic and the only things that can distract me is other theater goers but for the most part I don't usually get too bothered for whatever reason it's always the asshole in like one of the front three rows Mm. that pulls out his cell phone like in the first 10 minutes of the film with super high brightness and it's like asshole you're in the front (laughs) yeah turn that down we can all see you and it's like I could ignore low brightness you know um unless it's on the whole time in which case why did you waste 12 bucks but if it's like near the start of the show and it's low brightness for like a little bit I could ignore that you know sure whatever um that ain't me because I have my phone off during the previews because I like to when I watch a movie I like to not have my phone but if I'm at home I don't like not having my phone so it's a weird (laughs) dilemma at home yeah, no, I, I definitely get that. Um, and, and the more you, the more I'm listening to you talk about it, I wonder if maybe it doesn't have something to do with my ADHD, where mm. like, as much as I want it to be, a, a movie is not necessarily enough stimulation for me. So like, I'm, I'm consciously aware of my body and other people and like what's going on because my brain is searching for that extra stimulation. Whereas when I'm at home, I can be playing games on my phone. I can be petting the cat, you know, I can be doing different things. Um, you know, if I'm in the middle of the, of a movie and I'm like, Oh, I got this, the human zoomies, you know, I gotta go walk around the block real quick. Like I can pause it and do that as opposed to in a movie theater where I'm sitting there and I'm just like physically uncomfortable and far more focused on the physical sensation of what's going on as opposed to enjoying the movie like I would like to be. Right. Um, I could feel that. Yeah. So, and it, it does happen for me with theatrical shows, but I think less so because there's, there tends to be more sensory information in a, theater theater as opposed to a movie theater right and I feel like in theater the performer and the audience have a relationship yeah whereas a movie it's a one-way street a movie doesn't feed off of an audience the same way performers do yeah exactly and you know unless you're watching clue you're getting the same thing every time exactly although I do like to go to big event movies on opening night because normally I'll see these like something like a Star Wars or a Jurassic Park or an Avengers mostly because there's usually a bunch of fucking nerds and people get you feel right at home I feel right at home and people are getting so hyped and 
and it's exciting to, I don't know. I like when people are enjoying something together, you know, um, and horror movies in a theater, well, good horror movies, at least there's something really cool when everyone's kind of like on the edge of their seat and you can feel it. Yeah. But, um, I did not see the Babadook in theaters. I kind of wish I did, but I don't know if it came out in theaters here. Maybe just limited mm. screenings, if it did. Yeah, I I honestly don't know. I want to say I don't know of any screenings, but that maybe doesn't mean something given the part of the world that we grew up in. People are not necessarily bringing a lot of unique films there. It's a lot of homegrown artists say this about Detroit and the surrounding areas is that we really do love a hometown hero yeah although yeah when it comes to international cinema I do think Royal Oak and Ann Arbor and uh, Lansing they kind of get the weirder films sometimes yeah more so Ann Arbor I think yeah yeah definitely I it's just so hit or miss on what they right get um, and it's, I feel like they get a lot of the same stuff that you're going to see at like Edinburgh. So yeah. it's, yes, it's a foreign film, but it's also not like some little indie darling necessarily. Like there's a, there's a buzz behind it. Yeah, um, I see and, what you mean. I, and maybe that's unfair in my perception. I can only speak to the experiences that. I have had and I have seen, but that is more my estimation of it. Royal Oak really has been almost demolishing their art scene lately. Oh no, I feel really? yeah. So they uh knocked down the the main art theater just a couple of days ago um to make luxury apartments. Oh, I hate that. So And people were like, what if you built apartments on top of the theater? And they were like, LOL, no. I hate hate that. Because the theater is one of the reasons why you want to live in Royal Oak. Yeah. I don't want to get off on that tangent now. So (laughs) I'm going to switch gears. And it's time for the titular question of the podcast. Even though this is, it's weird asking, would you die for the Babadook? Because that's such a, the Babadook, I feel like, is such a personal monster. Sure. But I mean, or, I... Sorry. No, I, I think the the question of would you die for the Babadook is how willing are you to confront your own personal trauma and then take steps to not be consumed by it, which I think the majority of us are not doing. Mm-hmm. I think Amelia is, is almost superhuman. And if it's not for her son, I don't think she makes it. I don't think I right. would make it. I, I think the, the Babadook would take me out after one night. I'd get a little bit tired, a little bit cranky and be like, <laughs> all right, murder, suicide, I guess. But that's such a bummer. Like when it's Alien or Michael Myers, it's easy to be like, oh, yeah, I die because, you know, that's external and so much fun. But the Bob, that's heavy. The Babadook's heavy. It's heavy. It's heavy, which is why <laughs> I think you, you, the movie has to have that happy ending because otherwise you're just sitting there like, 
having an existential crisis, like my own personal demons kill me before an external one did. <laughs> I I think the Babadook probably has a high lethality rate. Maybe not so in the younger generations. We are going to therapy. Mm-hmm. We are doing the work. Um, but no way would a boomer make it. <laughs> uh, sad but true. But yeah. I was so down for the Babadook to talk about on the podcast. And then when when we got to this point, I was like, oh, fuck, we are going to take a we are going to take a downward turn. (laughs) But that's the vibe. I should have known what I was signing up for when I said yes to the Babadook. (laughs) There you go. And worse than that, you said yes to the Babadook with me. (laughs) Just knowing myself, the next person that the next person that asked, hey, can we talk about the Babadook? I just know I'm going to be like, hell yeah. Because <laughs> I, I don't learn my lesson when it comes to horror. <laughs> and I will gladly talk again and then run into the same, not issue, but you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Predicament. The thing is like, like this is the second Babadook episode I've done and I could do a bunch more and I just feel like they'll all be different conversations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Because I know in the in the first one, Josie's uh, Josie Palmer. Yeah. Um, Yeah, she's a musician, a composer. She does so many things. She was listing off her resume. I was felt just astounded. Um, But (laughs) y'all talked a lot about the score and the the music of everything and we we touched on that for like a split second Uh, (laughs) and i i think you know the the next time you talk about it because you probably will talk about it again um it'll it's like you said it'll be a completely different conversation because even though you're the same person whoever you're talking to is bringing their own thoughts and experiences into it Exactly. And that's why really any character, but the Babadook, especially just because that film lends itself to so many interpretations and it could be personal in so many different ways that the Babadook is just an important film to talk about. Yeah, that was fun. I really dug the video game tangent. I was not expecting (laughs) that. Um, There's always some unexpected tangent which I love. It's like one of my favorite things about podcasting so far. But that one was fun for sure. Where can the peeps find you? Should you be, should you choose that you want to be found? And what's uh, coming up for you? Yeah. So um, would, if, if you so desire to find me, Um, I will be performing uh, August 25th through 28th at CCRI with the CCRI players in Othello. I will be playing Desdemona. Come come check us out. Uh, That's the most immediate on my schedule. I've got a couple of other things in the works, um, but nothing concrete yet. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Awesome. That's going to be so much fun. And if you're in that, if you're in the area, you guys should check it out. I'm sure there's like an internet presence for that show, right? Yes. Um, So if you are on Insta and you want to follow CCRI players, 
that's probably the best way to be notified. Um, it's one of the most am- amusing Instagram accounts I've ever encountered. I was following it <laughs> even before I was involved with the theater because it was just so fun. But yeah, I, I think that's probably the best way. If you're still on Facebook, I think they have a Facebook page as well. I don't know about Twitter. I try not to go on Twitter anymore. It's depressing. Twitter is like my main one go to for whatever reason. Mm. But my algorithm is pretty it's most it's really just horror movies and Star Wars and football. So there you go. I mean, that's that's probably the way to go. I feel like mine is mostly horrors of existing right now. So I mean, I get (laughs) I get that, too, because there's no escape, but I get some fun stuff, too. So. Thank you for being on the show. I think that's a brilliant note to end off of the the horrors of existing. <laughs> and I think that's on brand for us. <laughs> so on brand. Uh, this has been fun. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Thanks again to Kit Martinez for joining me and talking about the Badonkadonk. I mean, the Babadook with me. So as far as what I watched last week, let me think. Oh, I saw Orphan First Kill in theaters. And honestly, I wasn't digging it at first because it just felt like a generic uh, sequel, whatever. But then halfway through, I was like, okay, this, this is a fun movie. Once the twist hit, I was on board completely. I rewatch Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, because sometimes you need that old reliable. I watched Jurassic World Dominion again, this time the extended cut. And the extended cut is a vast improvement over the what we saw in theaters. That being said, that being said, I do think that it is still my least favorite of the Jurassic Park movies. I still really do not like the third act, but I'm I love them all to sequence. I dig a lot of stuff that happens in the first two acts. It's just the third act that kind of ruins it for me. I rewatch Alien Covenant and that movie is awesome. If you don't like Alien Covenant, I don't like you. That's a joke, but Alien Covenant's really good. And if you haven't checked it out, you should. And then the last thing I saw, it's not a horror movie, but like I'm pretty sure it scared a bunch of kids. And I got to see E.T. the Extraterrestrial in theaters for its 40th anniversary. And that is just one of my favorite movies. It's iconic. And the ending makes me tear up every time. So that's what I watched last week. As always, you can find the show's social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Would You Die Show. You can find the Would You Die YouTube show on the Three Wise Men Media YouTube channel, where you can find professional wrestling, trailer reviews, and much, much more. The music you hear in the beginning and end of each episode is composed by my friend, Josie Palmer. Next week, we are bringing back one of my earliest guests of the podcast to talk about the horror game of the summer. It's going to be a fun one. Until then, I'm Austin Torres. Try not to die.